Lord, I just uh, thank you that, Lord, you've given us your word. And I just pray that you help us to understand this truth. And Lord, we know that the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, pictures you. It, it, it tells us more about you. And I just pray that as we go through um, this chapter, Lord, that we will understand more about you and what you expect of us and what you want to do in us and through us. So I just uh, yeah, commit us to you this morning and I pray you'll lead us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. We've been going through the book of Exodus and you've got the, coming, the Exodus coming out of Egypt. Then you've got the Ten Plagues, and, or the Ten Plagues then coming out of Egypt, and then uh, Mount Sinai, and they're at Mount Sinai now, and they've received, well, receiving the law, and basically they're now building this tabernacle. They've built, we've been through the structure, we've been through what the priests wear, what, what it all means. Today, we're going to, chapter 29 is all about preparing the people, the priests, for ministry. So they're ministering to God, and they also minister to the people. But first of all, they minister to God. I think this is a really important thing to learn because they had a particular ministry, they had to, and they had to be prepared for their ministry. So we have a ministry, and we need to be prepared for our ministry. Before we jump into it, actually, actually start reading Exodus chapter 29, I want to just to show us what our ministry is, or, or, or part of our ministry. It's on the screen up here. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. I've made that bold myself because uh, what's, what's our ministry? It's reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. Now, if you speak for a king, you've got a really important job. We speak for the king of the universe. So we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sin for us, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We could be righteous. So that, that's our ministry. So just keep that in mind as we go through. God is preparing us. He's going to do a work in us. And that so he can work through us. And that's the main point of what we're going to learn today is God must do a work in us before he can work through us. Verse 1 says in Exodus chapter 29, And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. So first of all, what does the word hallow mean? Is it hallow? No. <laughs> no. no, what it means, it's to consecrate, to set apart, to sanctify, to prepare, to dedicate, to be holy, to be separate, and to keep oneself apart or, or be separate. So that's the, um, the meaning of the Hebrew word, hallow, to be sanctify. These priests are going to be sanctified or set apart. In 
First Timothy chapter one verses eleven and twelve it says, According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He has considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. It's been committed to our trust. This ministry that we have for, of reconciliation, is, it's the gospel. It's committed to our trust. Now, do we do it in our own strength? No. It says, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. So we don't do it on our own. It's him that works through us. So, like Paul, I'm amazed at the goodness and grace of God that he would include me in this glorious privilege called ministry or serving him. It's just amazing. Now, I want to just go through why we should seek to be a servant of God, to be his minister, to to serve other people and to serve him with this message of reconciliation. So, there's three reasons. Firstly, with the same measure you use, it, it will be measured back to you. So this could be considered selfish, but whether it's selfish or not, it's, it's still true. If we, we can have the right attitude and this is still true. What we give out, we get back. I'll give you an example. When I pray for others, I get blessed. So I'm ministering, I'm serving by praying for someone, but I get blessed because I'm spending time in the presence of God. When I share with others, I'm sharing this message of reconciliation that Jesus became sin so that we could become his righteousness. I am strengthened in the truth of the scriptures. I am encouraged by the truth of the scriptures. When I witness to others, my own faith grows deeper, stronger, and more powerful. So as I reach out, God gives back. So with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It shouldn't be surprising. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told us that he would give us power to be his witnesses. Now that word power is dunamis, which we get a word dynamite. It's a dynamic experience. It's like, I'm just a comparison here. It's like an electrical charge. Now, if you have a, a circuit, then the power can go through. But if you don't have a circuit, if it's an open circuit, then it's not going to flow. Like if you turn the light switch off, you've broken the circuit, it doesn't flow. Okay, the light won't turn on. God's spirit only works through us if we are we allow him to work through us. If we're willing to put ourselves in those situations where we're going to share the gospel, to serve other people and to, to pray for people and to read his word, that's when the spirit will work in us. And we can enjoy that blessing. Now, secondly, there's again this you might consider this a selfish thing, but if we've got the right heart, it's not selfish. I enjoy being the ministry because of future rewards. So what we do in ministry, even as simple as giving a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, something as simple as that, will be rewarded by the Lord and will impact us eternally. That's in Matthew 10. When we choose to do something, no matter how simple, in the name of the Lord, for His glory, in order that people will be drawn to him, impressed with him, refreshed by him, we'll have rewards in heaven. Now, you might think, oh, I'm not doing this for reward. But when you get there, you will. <laughs> okay? 
When we get to heaven and the rewards are given, you'll say, I wish I would have taken more seriously the admonition to strive, to run the race, to win the prize, to gain the crown. Philippians 3.14. That's what Paul is telling us. Strive. Why? Because there's a crown at the end. There's a reward at the end. When I'm saying this, this could be considered selfish. It can be if that's the reason we're doing it. But what is the reason we should be serving the Lord? For the love of Christ compels me. So if we're doing it for love, we're not really thinking about the reward. We know we'll get one, but we're not thinking about it. We know we're blessed when we serve, but we're not thinking about it. That's not the reason we do it. The reason we do it is because of love. And thirdly, I love the ministry because of real needs. People all around us are lost. They're wandering like, around like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know what to do. They're depressed, discouraged, and worst of all, they're without Jesus. They're headed for hell. They don't know that God sent his son not to condemn them, but to save them, to die in place of them so that they could be forgiven of their sins and spend eternity in heaven. That's John chapter 3, verse 17. So I say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to be in the ministry because I see people all around me who are confused and you're given such a simple and important answer for me to share with them. The same is true for you. You might not be, you know, teaching in front of a church or whatever, but you might be an electrician or a carpenter or, you know, accountant, whatever, IT. You are in the ministry. It doesn't matter. This thing about clergy and the laity, you know, um, people in full-time ministry, it's wrong. Jesus said in John fifteen sixteen, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Did you realize that you have been ordained? Every believer has been ordained by Jesus to bear fruit to be in ministry. We're ordained by him to be his ambassador. But you might say, I don't know if I'm properly prepared for this ministry. I don't know if God can use me. But that's what the rest of this chapter is all about. It's about being prepared for ministry. Take one young bull. This is Exodus 29, starting in the second half of verse 1. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So, the door. Remember the tabernacle represents Christ. So, the door is Jesus. The door represents Jesus. So here we are. Someone has witnessed to us. Someone has invited us to a church service. Someone has talked to us about Jesus. And they brought us to the door that leads to eternal life. John chapter 10, verses 7 to 9. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So the important bit there is verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, 
he will be saved. That's our ministry, to bring people in. That's the first part of it. And that's where we start. If we're going to minister for the Lord, we need to first be saved. We need to enter in through the door. That involves repentance and confession of sin and putting faith in Jesus that what he did on the cross was the payment for the penalty of your sins. Verse 4, And you shall wash them with water. Now, for me, this is a picture of baptism. So the New Testament commands baptism. It's a pattern that has been set for us in the book of Acts. Believe and be baptized. There's many times it says that. I'll just give you one example. This is in the Samaritan village or town. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So that's the pattern. When you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're born again, you get water baptized you by immersion. Verse 5, Exodus. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. After coming to the door of salvation and being plunged into the water of baptism, we see Aaron robed in garments he didn't make, buy, or even put them on. He just stood there and the robes are put on him in this ordination ceremony. So Jesus is our high priest. Aaron was chosen to be the high priest by God. Well, so was Jesus. I'm going to just show you Hebrews chapter 5, verses 4 to 6, talking about the high priest. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he, the Father, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We're learning about Jesus as our high priest. Well, he's not descended from the tribe of Levi. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which is a greater order. Uh, Verse 7, And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Again, Aaron didn't anoint himself. The oil, the anointing oil was poured upon his head. What does this point to with Jesus? This is just a picture, right? But the reality was when Jesus was baptized, what happened when he was baptized? When he had been baptized, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, to be in ministry, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Or Acts chapter 1. The promise was given in verse 8. And you shall receive power to be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria. Uh, Verse 8 in Exodus 29. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them, and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put their hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So Aaron, representing the high priest, Jesus, was given these priestly garments. He was chosen. In the same way, us, because we're sons of God, we are also 
priests. All the sons of Aaron became priests. They were priests not because of anything they did, but because Aaron was their father. That's it. The only qualification to be a priest is your father is the high priest. Well, my saviour, Jesus, is the high priest. I'm related to him. That makes me a priest. But you are a chosen generation, 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So remember, I keep using the word priest, but don't, don't think of you know, wearing all these you know, things. A priest is just someone who ministers to God by prayer, loving the Lord, blessing the Lord, but also takes God's message to the people. So a priest is someone who takes God's message to the people and, and the people's message back to God. And so we pray for people to be saved and we, we tell them the message of salvation. So that makes us in the role of a priest. We too, because we're priests, like the sons of Aaron, Psalm 132, verses 9 and 16, it says, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. So they were clothed with this white tunic, which represented God's righteousness. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. We are clothed with righteousness and salvation. This is what God does for us. Verse 10. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Now, we talked about Jesus becoming sin for us. Well, he was taken outside of the city, and he was crucified outside the city. This is the first of three sacrifices that's going to be performed as part of this ordination ceremony. The first one here is a sin offering. So let's learn what the sin offering is teaching us. The bullock was the sin offering. So Aaron and his sons would put their hands on the head of this bull, this young bull, usually a year old, and they would confess their sin onto this bull. And it's like their sin was being transferred to this bull. And then the bull would have to be killed. The reason is, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22 And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 The second half of that verse. So what was happening is a transfer of guilt. It's like me putting money into your account. If I was really rich and I could do that, then I could transfer $100,000 into your account. It's no longer mine, it's now yours. So this is a transfer of righteousness. In the same way, if, if, I, if you had a mortgage, you could transfer your mortgage to me and I could transfer some money to you. And so I take your debt and you take my 
my, my treasure, my money. When a bull was brought into the tabernacle, and Aaron and his sons put their hands on its head, they were doing something that was very common in the sin-offering sacrifice. Their action was a symbolic gesture in which they were transferring all guilt and sin over onto the animal. And then that animal, having received the sins, was slain or killed. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. So this would make each of them aware that this animal was his substitute. That animal was dying in his place. When we come to Jesus Christ, it's the, the same idea. He bore our sins. It says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So when we see Jesus dying on the cross, we have to recognize that it's not for his guilt, but for our guilt that he is dying. He is my substitute. He is my sacrifice. My guilt was transferred onto him, and his righteousness was transferred onto me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. So that's the sin offering. The first step in becoming, uh, in ministering to the Lord is to be saved. You need to have your sins forgiven. You need to be made clean. You need to be clothed in these white garments, the garments of salvation and righteousness. So verse 15, now we go to the second offering, the burnt offering. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around on the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails, its insides and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. So the whole animal is cut up, yes, but it's put on the altar and it's burnt. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This burnt offering signifies complete or entire dedication and devotion to God. And there can be no true ministry without sacrifice, without being fully submitted or devoted to the Lord. His verse kind of helps us to understand this principle. Then Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew sixteen twenty four to 26 If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We can keep the things of the world and enjoy them for a while, or we can give those up, we can sacrifice that, and we can be devoted to God, being willing to give up everything for Him. So far, we've had the, the first offering, which is the bull, the sin offering. And this one that, that we just talked about is the burnt offering. It talks about our complete devotion to God, our complete surrender to God. What now? Well, there's one more offering. The third offering, it's a consecration or peace offering. 
And it talks about sanctification. I'll explain what that is in a minute. So verse 19, you shall also take the other ram. So there's a bull and two rams. Uh, This is the the last one. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar and you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. He and his garments shall be hallowed or separated, sanctified, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So here we see sprinkling with the anointing oil as well for the, for the sons. What does it mean? What's the significance of the blood on your right ear, your right thumb, and your right big toe? Why did Moses put this blood on their right ear, their right thumb, and their right big toe? Well, first of all, the blood talks about being forgiven, being clean, cleansed from our sin. People often feel as though they've heard things they shouldn't have listened to. They've done things they shouldn't have been involved in. They've walked places where they shouldn't have walked. Therefore, the blood was applied to the ear, to the thumb, and to the toe to signify that our shortcomings in what we've heard, what we've done, and where we've walked are all covered, cleansed, and forgiven because of the blood. And going on from that, in the consecration or sanctification offering for the priests, the blood on the ear, thumb, and big toe also carries the idea that once they have been cleansed, the person now has an ear that is consecrated or set apart to hear the voice of God. The thumb, well, now is set apart to do the service of God. And the 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 big toe, now we're set apart to walk in the path of God, the path that God has for us, the, the life he has given us, the work he has set before us. It's a good reminder to me of the total commitment that is represents my calling. It represents my sanctification. I've been set apart to do God's will. I've been, he's cleansed me and now he wants me to be used by him. A couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Here we have the, the um, three stages of our salvation here. Righteousness is like our being born again, we're cleansed from our sins. Sanctification is the change that happens in us to make us more like Christ. And redemption is when we get our new bodies. And It's all through Christ. We don't have to do anything to receive these things. It's all done by Him. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants us to be separate from the world. Ray Comfort says, When the blood of Christ is applied to the sinner, it opens his ears to the voice of the Lord, which guides what he puts his hand to and the places where he goes. He is no longer his own, He is bought with a price and he now does everything with respect to God and his will. This verse kind of uh, repeats what Ray just said. Um, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So God has cleansed us. He owns us because he paid our our fine. He redeemed us. And that's our that's our response, which should be to glorify God, because we belong to Him now. We'll come back to the idea of sanctification or being set apart in a little while. I just want to focus on who was the priest again. Just a reminder that it's anyone who's a descendant of the high priest is a priest. Okay, anyone who is related to Jesus is a priest. So if you're a son of God. You are a priest if you're born again. None of the sons were left out. All of Aaron's sons were made priests. And there's no one who's a Christian who's been born again who's left out either. I'll read um, John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So we have this privilege, this right to become children of God. And if we're a child of God, then we're a priest. We we minister to God and to the people. Nothing was done by Aaron and his sons in this ordination ceremony. Everything was done for them. This is an important point. They didn't have to put the clothes on themselves. They didn't have to do anything for themselves up to this point. Okay. Sometimes we think, oh, I'd better do this, or I must do that, or I need to be good, I'll work on this area of my life and then I'll become a Christian. No. It's all done to us. It's done for us. Jesus has done it all. It's not what we do that matters, but what Jesus has done for us. Our salvation, our sanctification. We can't change ourselves. We can't change our heart. Only God can. We can't save ourselves. We can't pay the penalty for our sins. Only God can. Right, verse 22 in Exodus 29. And you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands. Notice he's given something. They put their hands out. He fills them with with these things, the bread and the meat, etc., and the grain, and then they give it back. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering which is waved and the thigh of the heave offering which is raised, of that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by a statute forever, for it is a heave offering. It shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, their heave offering to the Lord. So basically, if the priests are always working in the temple, 
well, they don't have time to grow crops and, you know, run around and get food and, and get paid work. So the people would, when they presented a peace offering, would give part of that offering to the priests. And that was a priest's way of getting food. But more importantly, the hands of Aaron and his sons were empty. They placed their hand on the bull for the sin offering and their sins were transferred. But then they were filled. God, God filled their hands, okay? So I just want to um, give it, just talk about this for a sec, this principle. I'm going to go look at David, David and Goliath. On one mountain ridge stood the people of Israel. On the other were the Philistines. So you have this thing, armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines. And then Goliath had walked down and he'd yell out this challenge, taunting the people of Israel day after day, challenging them to send someone to do battle with him. The Israelites were terrified. After all, Goliath was at least 10 foot tall and maybe up to 11 and a half feet tall. So he wouldn't fit in this room. His spear, the tip, weighed 30 pounds. Now a shot put is 16 pounds. So you're looking about, I don't know, six and a half kilos or something like that. This was like twice as heavy as a shot put. So this guy's spear, just the end of it was two shot puts, you know, if you oh, can't pick the spear up, you know. This guy was massive, this guy was strong. The armour he wore to protect his chest was itself 200 pounds. It's probably about 80, 90 kilos. So, you know, the armour would be, his arm would be heavier than most of us in this room. So Goliath was massive. Now when this young shepherd boy from Bethlehem arrived on the scene, David, he heard Goliath's jeers and he said, Give me a chance. Let me take him on. You see, while everyone thought, everyone else thought Goliath was too big to hit, David thought he was too big to miss. How can you miss someone as big as that? And he turned down the offer of the armor that was too big for him, Saul's armor, and he went into the valley of Elah. And the only thing he was and he carried, the only thing he used to carry, which was his sling. But when he got, when he started out, it was empty. Okay, and this is the main point of this little story. When he got down to the stream, he found the five stones. God gave him what he needed for the battle when he was in the battle. Okay, God gave him what he needed for the battle when he was already in the battle. And he found those five stones and he he slayed the giant. I just want to just highlight this. It's not until David had already committed himself to the battle that he found the stones. Just as it wasn't until Aaron and his sons were to make an offering to the Lord that they were given bread and meat. And it won't be until you start sharing your faith and reaching out people that you will be given exactly what you need for that ministry. That's Matthew 10.19. Preparing to minister is not nearly as necessary as daring to minister. We have to be daring. We need to be bold. For it is when we are in the valley of confrontation that we'll look down, we'll see our five smooth stones, figuratively speaking, we'll pick them up and we'll put them to God's use. The stones might, for us could be boldness, wisdom, it could be patience, it could be forgiveness for someone who's hurt us, it could be love for an enemy. Okay? So we go into that situation and we trust that God will provide everything that we need. Here's an example from Matthew. Matthew 10, 19-20 But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. 
for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. So, yes, we do need to be in the Word. Yes, we do need to be prayerful. We do need to strengthen our spirit by spending time with the Lord. But ultimately, God will provide for us in the battle. Verse 29. And the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. Aaron's garments, once Aaron gets dies, he, he passes on those garments, the high priest garments, to his sons, or to his one of his sons. Our character is what we pass on to our children. We will pass on our character to our kids. So Aaron the high priest, he passed on his heritage to his kids. We pass on our heritage too. If I want my children to be people of prayer, then I must be a man who prays. If I want my my children to to be people who love the word, then I must be one who loves reading the word and studying the scriptures. If I want my kids to be honest, I must cultivate honesty and integrity because the garments I wear, my character, for better or worse, will be passed on to my kids. You might say, but my kids will make their own choices. It's true. But we can help them in the, in the right direction by cultivating a godly life in our own private and personal walk with the Lord. We need to love God and walk with Him, and that will be passed on from generation to generation. It often is. I just want to, you know, we've got Aaron, the high priest, passing on his heritage to his kids. Us passing on our heritage to our kids. God does the same. God, our high, Jesus, our high priest, he passes on his character to us. This is a good way, I believe, of understanding what sanctification is. When we see our Savior face to face, we will be like him. We shall see him as he is. He's going to pass on his character to us. This is I'm using this as an example to try and explain sanctification. He's passing on his character to us. Okay, We're becoming more and more like him. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. God is revealing himself to us. He's changing us to become more like him. And the last verse says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. This is our goal in life, to become more like Jesus, to love him more, to be closer to him, to enjoy intimate relationship with him. And as we do that, we become more like him. We become like those people we hang around, that we associate with. If we associate with Jesus, we, we spend a lot of time with Jesus, we'll become like him. But ultimately, we've still got this sin nature attached to us, and uh, it's, we don't know Christ the way we could know Christ. I want to just read this psalm to you, uh, a bit from Psalm 17. It starts at verse 13. It's David talking. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. 
with your hand from men, O Lord. For the men of the world who have their portion in this life, whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. A lot of people, especially in the Western world, they have everything they want. They have a house, they have their cars, they go on the holidays, they buy the caravans, they travel around, you know, and they pass on their houses to their children and they're great. But what was David's focus in life? What was David's goal? Well, what was he looking for? What, yeah, what was he looking forward to? It says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. So David was not satisfied with his relationship with God. He was never satisfied with his relationship with God. He wanted more. And we should never be satisfied with our relationship with God as it is now. We can always have more. We can be closer to him. Philippians 1.6, God promises that he will finish what he started. And we stumble and fall and we think, oh, how's God going to finish this? But it's not our problem, it's God's. He's the one who said he's going to do it. Okay, So he'll get it done in his own way. So we experience joy in our relationship with the Father on this earth to a limited extent because we do not have a full understanding of who Jesus is or how much he loves us. Because of our sinful nature, our understanding is kind of blurry, if I can use that word. But once we get to heaven, we will know Christ as we are known by him. Our relationship with God will go to another level. David was never satisfied with his relationship with God. He wanted to go deeper to experience greater intimacy. And so should we. And that's what Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 3, 17 to 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, it's beyond our understanding, this love of Christ. This is how much God loves us and who he is. It's beyond our understanding in our human mind, in our human intellect. And just a, another couple of verses to illustrate this. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man... I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And another similar verse, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So. We are, the mirror they're talking about is the olden day mirror where it's just brass. And it was pretty good, but it was a little bit blurry. Okay, So you didn't get an exact reflection. It's not like a mirror that we have today. The, the previous verse was, So when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We, we have to grow up. We have to put off worldly thinking or childish thinking. We have to put off childish ways or the worldly ways we need to be consecrated or set apart for Christ 
so I can abide in his love more and more until that day comes for me when I go to be with the Lord and I see him face to face, when I'll be able to know him as he knows me. John 15, 9-11 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So as Christians, our joy comes from our fellowship with God. We fellowship with God when we listen to him, we serve him and walk with him when we're obeying him. And this is why consecration or sanctification is so important for us. Because it, it, it determines our quality of life. If we're not set apart, then we're not going to enjoy life to the full. But remember, it only happens after the sin offering when we're forgiven and the burnt offering when we're submitted to, to the Lord. Okay, verse 31 in Exodus. And you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things which, with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings of the, or of the bread remains until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it and the altar shall be most holy. Whoever touches the altar must be holy. This this process was going to go on for seven days and it was a process of cleansing. So does it happen straight away? No, it takes time. How does it happen? Well, the next verses talk about the, the daily offerings, the daily sacrifices. Verse 38, Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an effort of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And you shall offer it with the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak with you, and there I will meet the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So, here you have a lamb sacrificed every morning and every evening. So what does this mean for us? Well, we spend time with the Lord in the morning, and we spend time with the Lord at night. Prayer prepares our day. It prepares our hearts to to be trusting the Lord, walking with the Lord, to be empowered by the Lord, to be dependent on the Lord. Prayer at night makes us safe and secure. Sometimes, you know, um, David often prayed before he went to bed and while he was sleeping, uh, while he was in in bed. The enemy doesn't snooze. (laughs) Devil's always roaring, looking about roaring like a lion, okay? 
we can shield ourselves to a large degree from his attacks by turning off the TV and praying before the end of the day. Now, some people say, but I talk to the Lord. I talk to the Lord all day long. So why do I have to have a specified time of prayer in the morning and evening? Well, think of it this way. You're married. Just just pretend you're married, all right? Or you've got a a friend that you're close to. Now, I'll use my wife as an example. I come home and I say, Marissa, we don't need to sit down and talk. You can just follow me around and we'll talk on the go. Would that be good? I'm just going to mow the lawn. You can talk to me while I'm mowing the lawn. Okay, I'm going to put the clothes on the line. You can talk to me while I'm putting the clothes on the line. I'm going to practice my guitar. You can talk to me while I'm practicing my guitar. So yes, we can have some communication. But it's not just a quantity of time. There must be a quality of time. For my wife and I to communicate clearly, we must sit down and get rid of all those distractions and focus on each other. And it's the same with our relationship with the Lord. We do pray without ceasing throughout the day. We put out these prayers here and there. But there must be a time when we say, I'm here to talk to you. I'm putting all other things aside. I want to have communication with you. I want to pour out my heart to you, to focus just on you. Now, it's not a got to, it's a get to. This is not something we go, well, I better do it because God wants me to. No, this is amazing. I get to spend personal time with the God of the universe. This is awesome. While it was Moses, one. I like these next verses, verses 44 to 46. So I will, notice the words, I will, God will do this. I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So Moses went through all these actions of putting clothes on them and of pouring water, uh, oil on them and, and washing with water and stuff like that. But at, at the end of the day, that's just a picture of what God does for us. Paul prayed that I may know him. And I just want to read a couple of verses just to encourage us to continue to, to seek a, a closer relationship with the Lord, to allow him to change us as we spend time in his presence. First one is, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, it says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So, we have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that, we need to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is not something where we have to do it. This is flowing out of us, okay? Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Another one, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, reminding us that there's an eternal reward waiting for us. We will have to give an account of how we use the time, talents, gifts and resources that God has given us. There's a phrase that says, 
uh, uh, saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And just talking about sanctification, there's one last scripture I want, I'd like to finish with. It's this one here. It's a good description of being set apart for the Lord. It says, Do not team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be our partaker or partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And it says, Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. That complete holiness. We won't get it until we get to heaven, but we work towards it. So as we do that, we enjoy a more intimate relationship with the Lord, and we're more effective in our ministry. So. Father, help us to be careful about what we watch, about who we talk to, about the things we do, the things we think about. And uh, Lord, that you will just help us to live a pure and holy life so that we can be used effectively in your kingdom and we can uh, be your ambassadors and we can clearly communicate your message of reconciliation to this lost and dying world. And Lord, we just look forward to the day, like David said, I'll, I'll be satisfied when, when I awake in your likeness. Lord, we just long for that day. Lord, we're living for that day when we go to be with you, when we see you, and we will be known as we are known. We'll see you face to face. We, Lord, we love you, and we help us to remember that we're called to be separate, to be not a part of the world, but to be a part of your kingdom. Help us, Lord. Help us to remember that the change within is your job, but Lord, we can cleanse ourselves. We can prevent ourselves from being contaminated by choosing not to watch those TV programs, by choosing not to read those books, or choosing not to hang out with those people. So I just, yeah, commit us to you now. Bless this week in Jesus' name. Amen.